How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast here with our second edition of the Tuesday episode, episode 25. Um, discussing the latest in sports other than football, obviously, which we save and have dedicated our Friday episode, episodes to. Uh, so this week we'll be talking some new developments in the PGA, some new MLB stats, along with the uh, traditional ones that we've been covering with some MLB news as well. And then also the NBA to round it out with our ice bath. All right, so starting us off, um, PGA. So this past weekend, we closed out the PGA Tour season uh, with the Tour Championship. It was quite an eventful way to close out the season, to be honest. Uh, the low rounds each day were 64 by Joaquin Neiman, 62 by Max Homa, 63 by Rory McIlroy, and a 64 by Tony Finau on Sunday. Going into Sunday, world number one, Scotty Scheffler. He was ahead by six strokes at 23 under. He shot a plus 373. Uh, it was a par 70 course, which didn't put him in a very good spot uh, down the stretch. Rory McIlroy, who was Scheffler's playing partner in the final round, went into it at 17 under, and he shot a four under 66 to finish at 21 under. There was a series of shots on the final three holes that you should go see for yourself. You can find some clips. Probably the most intriguing few holes by anybody all season. Uh, Rory didn't only end up beating Scotty by one stroke, as I said, 21 under to 20 under. But Scotty costed himself 12 and a quarter mil by blowing the lead. Um, Rory collected 18 mil by winning, and Scotty finished tied for second with Sung JM. They also still won five and three quarter mil each. Um, so still a really nice payday. But nonetheless, Scotty's um, poor final round costed him a lot. Um, but as the season ended, some guys finished out their time on the PGA Tour and elected to defect to the Live Golf Tour uh, as it's paying um, individuals a lot of money just to join the tour. And then the winnings are also a little bit more outside of this final weekend on the PGA Tour. We had six more defects. Um, Cam Smith, who's the second best golfer in the world by the official world golf rankings right now, um, arguably the best golfer in the world. Harold Varner III, who's been really good, has come really close to winning a lot of times, especially this season. Mark Leishman, who's a fellow Aussie with Cam Smith, has just been really good for the game, honestly, the past five to seven years. Uh, he's played pretty well. Joaquin Neiman, I believe he's only 23 or 24 years old, and he's played really well. He's only won once. And Cameron Tringale, who's a really young guy as well, um, did not see this happening for all these guys. Obviously, money is the driving factor here, but they want to compete, and they can do it on a world stage. Uh, PGA Tour, all the events are in America with the exception of the European Open. Um, the PGA Tour and Live Tour is kind of an ongoing topic right now, and not only the sports world, just but news in general. Um, didn't see, like I said, I didn't see all these guys leaving. I don't think there'll be anyone else big uh, that's going to leave but definitely um slowly but surely the pga tour is kind of having a lower level of competition as it did at the start of the season yeah not super surprised to see some more guys kind of head out to the live just considering the money they're throwing around um you know I, I hate to see it especially for a young guy like cam smith who's kind of getting his really getting his footing you know in the pga and had really done well in the past you know year to 18 months um but you know at the same time young guy like him um you rather bet on the money, you know, I didn't want to bet on yourself, but uh, taking that kind of money at the age of 25 is, is big. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock Cam for it, obviously at his play level. Um, you know, there's a strong chance he could have, you know, stayed with the PGA made that much money in earnings, if not more, but at the same time, um, you know, the same could be said over in the league, you get that a lot of money in earnings as well uh, from winning, um, you know, tournaments and stuff. So, um, you know, nothing really bad to say about these guys. I get it. Um, while I think it sucks because for the PGA and I'd like to see the PGA retain a lot of these guys, I also know that I'd probably do the same thing if I was in their position um, with the money getting thrown around at me. So it's really hard not to do that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, these guys, these guys have to make the decision that's best for them. So, um, you know, I can't really knock them forward at the end of the day. Um, we'll kind of shift into baseball. As Brett mentioned, we're going to do a stats update, but we're going to do some new stats this week geared towards some more advanced, geared towards some more advanced metrics. Some of them are going to kind of be like traditional stats, like slugging percentage that we'll start off with. We have on-base percentage. Um, but we're going to do some extra, some other, uh, you know, newer, new age uh, stats in the kind of the advanced metric era of baseball. Uh, we have runs created today as well as uh, that's a new one for us. Uh, adjusted ERA plus is a new one. Uh, we also added some 
uh, position player and pitching wars and war stands for wins above replacement. We'll get kind of into those as we get down the line in the stats update today. But I'll start it off, start it off with slugging percentage. Um, for those that don't know, I mean, it's been a stat that's been around for a long time, but it's basically just total bases divided by total at-bats, um, or rather one times the number of singles, two times the number of one times the number of singles plus two times the number of doubles because two bases for a double, three, and so on and so forth. Um, but the easier calculation is total bases divided by total at-bats. Um, and it's a B on the leaderboard for slugging percentage. You have to have 3.1 at-bats average per t- games your team has played or per game for team. Let me restart that. It's kind of hard to word out. So you have to average three and a half, 3.1 at-bats per game your team has played. So for example, you know, say a team's played 100 games, you have to average 3.1 at-bats over 100 games. It doesn't matter if you've played in all 100, but you have to average that over 100 games. Um, so, you know, what's that, 900 innings? So, um, or or so innings, giving, you know, give or take, if you play an eighth inning here and there or not, or a ninth inning here or there or not, only play eight uh, or bat eight. But this will replace home runs as like a power stat this week, just because I kind of wanted to highlight, it's going to be a lot of the same names we'll see on the home run list, but a couple of guys that, you know, maybe you don't hit so many homers, but hit a lot of doubles and triples. Um, you know, a lot of the times the guys hit a, guys will hit a double and it'll be um it'll score a run. So we'll kind of start off at number five here. Actually, we'll start at number six. Um, Mike Trout has a, a slugging percentage of 604, which would have landed him third on this list, but he's ineligible due to the lack of games he's played because if he had an injury, so at this point in the season, he's no longer eligible with the 3.1 at bats per games the Angels have played. Um, which is Common a lot. You'll see a lot of guys like I think there's a couple other names on here that, um, you know, we would have seen higher up, but they had, you know, they've been injured and their team has, uh, you know, played more games uh, that they've been out. So they're not eligible anymore like Mike Trout. So would have landed him third on this list, um, but he's been hurt. So he's not eligible. But that's a guy worth noting. Mike Trout's still one of the best players in baseball at the plate. Um, we'll get into the top five here to turn number five is Mookie Best, the Los Angeles Dodgers at a 560. Um, you know, guy's a doubles machine, hits a lot of triples, um, but he's kind of had a power surge as of late. I know he had four homers in his last three games against the Marlins. Uh, he had a rest day last night, but uh, four homers in three in three days, uh, really good stretch for him there, put himself back in the top five in homers, I believe. Uh, just a guy who's always one of the top guys at the plate. I think he's going to set a career high this year um, for a single season high for him in homers, which is really good to see from him after a slow start to the year. Number four is Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals at a 569. Uh, just nine points higher than Mookie Betts here. Um, the guy doesn't hit a lot of homers, but Arenado's maybe the definition of a doubles machine. The guy is always sitting him in the gap. Um, just a really good hitter. Uh, you know, he's always kind of had the approach of, especially this year, of you know balls inside, try and get him out into the gap on the pole side, and balls on the outside, trying to get out in front, kind of get out and get him on the opposite side, um, pin him into the gap. For him, it would be the right center gap as a right-handed hitter. Um, but a guy's been really consistent this year. He's been a huge part of St. Louis' success, and we'll, and we'll talk about him in a little bit with the batting war, um, the guy who's been, or I guess position player war, the guy who's been all over the field for the St. Louis Cardinals this year along with his teammate Paul Goldschmidt. But number three is Jordan Alvarez at Houston Astros at a 597, guy who's one of the best pure power hitters in baseball. Um, D- usually DHs for the for the Astros. Occasionally we'll kind of get a, get a play out in left field, but usually going to be a DH for them, just a really, really good power hitter, um, young player. He'll be atop this list for a long time, I think, for in his career. Um, I want to say he's like only 23, 24, maybe 25, but yeah, he's super young. So, um, you know, guys going to be on this list for a long time. At number two, we got Paul Goldschmidt, St. Louis Cardinals. You're going to hear this name, I believe, on every single batting list we're going to talk about today, as long as, as well as the guy at number one. Um, just a guy who's been, I mean, quite, quite frankly, the, the best player in the National League all year. I don't really think it's close. Um, he's the reason the St. Louis Cardinals are where they are right now. Obviously, they have Arenado, and they've had good years from other guys, but Goldschmidt has carried that team for a lot of the season. Um, and I think he's going to I think he's gonna be, barring some sort of monster collapse in the last, you know, roughly month of the season here as we head down the stretch, um, he's going to win National League MVP by a landslide, I think. I don't think it's going to be close. There's going to be guys like his teammate Arenado and Mookie Betts and, you know, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley are going to get votes, but I don't think it's really going to be close, to be honest. Um, then number one, Gal's been here all year, probably been the best. Uh, you know, him or Goldschmidt have been the best two all-around guys at the plate. Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees, at a 661. Um, a lot of this is coming from his homers. He's hit 50 homers this year. He's still top of the leaderboard. No one's going to catch him. Um, like I said, I don't know if anyone's going to hit 50 homers the rest of the year. So um, the guy has been an absolute monster. I think my American League MVP pick is going to hold true at the end of the year with him. Um, 
well, there's other guys have had good years, but and he's had uh, a historic season at the plate. Um, my, it wouldn't shock me if he, if he pushes 60, 65 homers, if he has kind of gets hot down the stretch here in the last month. Um, the guy has been here all year. And we'll get into runs created as our next stat after this, um, kind of as an RBI stat as well. But I'll let Brett kind of, if he has any comments on the slugging percentage list. Yeah, it's definitely really impressive, uh, these numbers right now. But it's not a shock. I mean, all five, really six, if you include Trout. I've been bona fide hitters for years. Uh, even Alvarez, younger guy, kind of new to this. Um, he's had a really strong year. Really, every year he's played in full has been really solid at the plate. That's what he's known for. But yeah, you mentioned Judge, Goldschmidt, Arnado, Betts, Trout. I mean, five really good hitters, five guys that have done this for a while, and it's not new to it. Um, so impressive stuff to see that they keep it up, but not too shocking. Yeah, and we'll talk about – we're going to hear, you know – Nolan, we're going to hear Jordan. We're going to hear most of these guys throughout the whole list, but we're going to get into run, runs created here. Um, it replaces RBIs this week as a run creation stat. Um, essentially, there's a whole long list of the way they calculate it. Basically, like if you hit, you know, if you have a grounder uh, to the second baseman and you ground out, but you move that runner from second to third, and then he scores the next at-bat, that's a run created. It's almost it's almost like how a, I don't know. I don't want to compare this because I, I may be off base here, but – it's similar to assists in hockey. Like you don't have to be the guy that you can have a two assist goal, right? You can have a guy, you can have a goal where two people get an assist on a goal because um, the puck's moving so fast. So similar deal here. Um, or like say an NBA player was to get an assist when, you know, his teammate goes to the line, he misses a shot, but he gets, he gets his two foul shots. He, you can get an assist for the, for that, you know, those two foul shots. That's kind of what this would be like. Um you know, it's just another run created stat. I think it, it it's a higher, a better metric for you know guys who move runners over a lot. You know, productive outs don't always have to be run scoring outs. Um, it can be a guy. You know, you, you have a leadoff double, or even like an extra innings is a great example. You know, a guy comes up to the plate and he grounds out, um, or he lays down a sack bunt and gets that runner over to third with one out. I mean, it, that's that's a that's a big thing, and that that matters a lot, especially in the new era of baseball with this with the extra innings runner, uh, ghost runner on second base. So. Thought we should add this stat in this week, try and get a little more kind of a variety in here. So we'll start out at number five. We've got three guys tied here at number five. Going to be Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Guardians, Nolan Arnott of the St. Louis Cardinals, and Trey Turner of the Los Angeles Dodgers are all tied at 93 runs created. Um, you know, Ramirez and Trey are guys who are always at the top of the RBI leaderboard. Um, I think looking at it, I think Trey was at sixth and Jose was at two. And then Nolan Arenado is a guy who's, like I said, doubles machine. Um, even if he's flying out, he's always moving a guy from second to third if that happens. Um, so, again, run, run creation is huge. It's the name of the game. You want to, you know, team that scores more runs wins every game. So, uh, definitely definitely a big here, big here from these guys. And then number four, we got Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves at 99. Another guy who's been uh, kind of a young up-and-comer, got his, got his, de- got his bag. Um, a couple of weeks ago, got paid. Um, so really good for him. Guy who's been really, really good at the plate as well on the field for Atlanta the past couple of years. He was a huge part of the World Series run last year. Number three, another guy who was a big part of the Atlanta World Series run is Freddie Freeman of now the Los Angeles Dodgers at 108 runs created. Um, you know, maybe one of the best fundamental hitters in baseball, to be honest. Um, you know, he's an older guy now, but um, I mean, it seems like every time if there's anybody's going to hit against the shift, it's Freddie Freeman. I've seen it countless times this year. Um you know, I never really knew how good of a all-around baseball player this guy was until he was on my team. But um, just the what he does at the plate, uh, what he can do with with certain pitches is is incredible, and it's really a testament to how fundamentally sound his game is at the plate. Uh, number two, top two guys are the same top two as the last time. Just flipped. It's going to be Aaron Judge at number two and Paul Goldschmidt at number one. Judge with 122 and, and Goldschmidt with 126. Um, they're going to be in a race to kind of get at the top of this leaderboard that kind of the rest of the year. Um, not much more to say about these guys, to be honest. I mean, you got great slugging percentages. They drive in runs. They create runs. You know, like I said, Judge, going to fly out to deep center field, going to move a runner over from second to third, even though it's an out and doesn't score a run. The next guy up is going to maybe have a sack fly or a, or a single that's going to score a run. So uh, this run-created stat really does a good job of illustrating more than just RBIs, sack bunts, sack flies that don't score runs um, are really important to the game. So I thought it was a cool stat to add in this week. Yeah, I think this stat better encompasses um, the quality of a hitter or at least the how clutch a hitter is in terms of getting runs across the plate. 
And I like it a lot. Obviously, some familiar guys on this list, but also, you know, dudes that could have been up there in the stat we just talked about. But you know, Freeman and Riley, both really good for a number of years now. And Ramirez, Arenado, Turner, um, three guys that all just have been really solid hitters. You know, they're all pretty similar too. Uh, guys that, you know, those, those last three that I mentioned, all really not known for power hitters, but really known for just getting on base, getting the hit when it's needed, having high averages. Um, so really beneficial guys to have throughout your roster, really put it any spot, and they have a lot of value. Uh, but we're going to move on here to on-base percentage. Play some bad and average here. Uh, on-base stat encompasses hit-by-pitch, walks, and hits. Um, it's if you get to first base, it counts. And if you strike out or fly out or ground out, uh, you don't get on base. So pretty straightforward here. Um, number five, we got Aaron Judge from the Yankees, obviously, at a – 0.396 so 39.6 percent of his at bats he gets on base pretty solid here um really i mean anything over 40 is really good uh, as we have a couple guys over that number four freddie freeman again um 0.398 so 39.8 percent of the time number three jordan alvarez from the astros at a 0.398 as well um number two we got juan soto who was on the Nationals at the early part of the season and then at the deadline got traded to the Padres. He's at a 41.1%, really, really good. And then leading the league right now, and not only this category, um, Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals at a 41.8. So five really, really good numbers there. All guys that have high impact at the plate that you don't want to pitch against down the stretch when the game's on the line. So impressive stuff, but no surprises there. Yeah, I think you talked about it. Um getting on base is a huge thing. It's a lot of it's walks. Um, I mean, you look at Juan Soto, his batting average is like in the two fifties, but he gets, he's the most walked player in baseball by a ridiculously large margin. Um, there's something to be said for guys that can take pitches guys that have a really good eye at the plate who are disciplined and don't chase. Um, there's something to be said for that. Like I say, getting on base is huge. Um, whether it's a walk or not, doesn't matter. As long as you're on base, you're helping the team out. So definitely a good look here. from these guys and a lot of guys who get walked a lot. I mean, look at power hitters in this list. Um, if that's like Freddie Freeman, Juan Soto, not, not that Juan Soto is like a, a seasoned vet, but a guy who's just really disciplined at the plate has seen a lot of at-bats. Goldie's a vet. Um, just guys who are really disciplined at the plate and the guys who get on base a lot. Right. And our next stat we're going to be talking about is position player war. So position player meaning minus pitchers. War wins above replacement, like you mentioned. Um, this is basically saying how valuable the player is as if they are on the roster compared to if they weren't. And five very valuable guys, obviously. Um, five guys that have had a lot of action this year, uh, playing a lot of games. Obviously, your war is going to be higher if you're really good. Um, number five, Manny Machado, who we haven't mentioned much on the list this year for the Padres, out of 5.4. Uh, four, we have Mookie Betts at a 5.7. Three, Goldschmidt at a 7.0. Two, Arenado at a 7.0 as well. Number one, 7.6, Aaron Judge. Um, about what I expect Machado I may have said would be a little high but the rest of the guys aren't surprises um, I mean Judge is just strictly from his power um, you know if he wasn't creating all those runs that he does off of his home runs um, he would not have a very good war uh, but 7.6 is really really impressive considering you know what has he played probably 110 games this year Something like that. I think it's probably up in the 110s right now. Um, but a lot of these guys, you're going to see like Manny Machado's on this list, largely because of what he does on the defensive end. I mean, he had a really good first half of the year at the plate, but not a great, not a great, you know, post All Star break uh, at the plate from him. But guy plays maybe the best. Third. Him and Arenado play the best third base in baseball. It's probably Arenado by a slim margin, but Manny plays a really good third base as well. Um, you know, same thing with Mookie Betts plays really, really good right field. Um, part of why Arenado is so high is because of what he does in the field as well. Um, so it kind of gets taken into account. Obviously, obviously there's fielding war and batting war, but this is kind of combined here. I think this is a better metric for an all-around valuable player as well. So um, definitely take, take that into account when you're looking at these as well. It's not just what they do at the plate, but, you know, defensive runs save what these guys do in the, in the field, um, you know, holding runners, throwing runners out from the outfield, that kind of thing. Exactly. And our next stat here, our first pitching stat, will be strikeouts per nine innings pitch. So I know previously we are talking about strikeouts over the course of the season. And for that to be on that list, you had to have a minimum number of pitch, uh, minimum number of pitching uh, innings. 
stuff like that. This is more kind of efficient here. It's saying regardless of if you're a closer, if you're a reliever, starter, whatever, you can qualify for this list, and it's all compared the same. Um, you're not seeing guys that have twice as many innings pitched as others, and that's the reason their strikeouts are so much higher. So this is strictly strikeouts per a full-length game without extra innings, obviously. Uh, so number five here, we got Shane McClanahan from the Rays, who's been a really solid pitcher all year. A couple rough outings, um, but really solid at an 11.118. So that means he's just getting just over a strikeout an inning, which is really solid. A lot of the times you see closers um, with more Ks per nine rather than starters because starters have to face batters more than once and they can't use all their stuff off the bat. Number four, we have Carlos Rodon from the Giants. He's been really solid the past couple of years as well at an 11.359. So a little bit better than McClanahan, but in the 11s, 12s is really solid, um, especially with how many innings these guys are pitching to starters. Number three, we have Garrett Cole from the Yankees at an 11.416. So a little over 11.4 strikeouts for every nine innings he pitches. Number two, Dylan Cease from the White Sox at an 11.613. No shock here. He's been at the top of many pitching stat lists over the course of the whole season. He's had a really quality year there for the White Sox. Number one, Shoya Otani. I haven't had him much on the pitching stat lists this year, but that's some pretty nasty stuff. And he's been really the Angels' only bright spot outside of Mike Trout. Um, he has 12.375 Ks per nine. So he's getting almost 12.5 Ks per nine innings pitched for the Angels. And it's really solid there um, just for the overall value he brings to a team. Yeah, I think it kind of highlights and illustrates, um, you know, guys like, guys like Shohei Otani who don't necessarily go deep in the game sometimes because he's got a bat every game too. It's not like he's – getting days off after he pitches he's leading off the lineup the next day um so they can't send him as deep into games especially in the regular season when it doesn't really matter um you know that he will only pitches you know five to maybe seven he's gone a full a complete game a couple times but um you know not a guy who pitches deep in the game sometimes just due to the fact that he has to play uh the very next day at the leadoff spot um but i think it illustrates guys who just are really efficient um which is, which is good to see. Again, I think this, the pure strikeout numbers are, are great, but it also doesn't illustrate, you know, there's guys who go the full nine innings every time almost. Um, and that's great, but I think it illustrates the efficiency and the, kind of the nastiness of the stuff that some of these guys have. Um, we'll move to the next stat. It's going to be adjusted ERA plus, which is probably the most, the newest and most advanced metric on this list. Um, I'm not going to get into exactly how it's calculated because, again, it's like a whole paragraph worth of what they do. But essentially, this adjusts a pitcher's ERA to their ballpark. Um so, like a guy you're not going to see on this list that would have been on the ERA list is Shane Clanahan. He plays in plays for Tampa Bay. That's a very pitcher friendly ballpark. Um, so, you know, a lot of flyouts are going to be. It's in a dome, so a lot of flyouts aren't going to carry. Uh, he's got pretty deep outfield, so you know most flyouts are going to be kept in that ballpark. Not a lot of homers hit there, as opposed to a guy like Julio Arias who was going to miss the top five on the on the um, pardon me the ERA list, but he's going to make it on the ERA plus list because. Dodger Stadium is a hitter-friendly ballpark, um, especially kind of in the early afternoon and the evenings there, um, in the early evening. That ball is going to carry a lot when the, when that air is warmer. Um, so it's a pretty hitter-friendly ballpark. Got the short wall in left field as well. Kind of helps those balls get out a little bit. So um, it's a really cool stat. It's a new, it's a newer thing. Um, only the past, I think, five or so years we've done this. But it's a good stat to look at. Uh, again, it helps, again, it helps adjust for ballparks. Um, because they can be misleading sometimes. Some guys get an advantage like Shane does sometimes. But uh, higher is better here, uh, which we'll see as we get to the top of the list here. Uh, but we'll start at number five with Dylan Seeds, Chicago White Sox at 177. Uh, been on this list, been on the area list a bunch this year. Really young guy having a good season, coming kind of a breakout year for him. Number four was Julio Arias, like I said, at the Dodgers at a 179. Um, just been really solid for the Dodgers the last few years. And number three is Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins at 191. Guy's going to run away with the Cy Young this year. He bounced back in a big way against the Dodgers the other day, going a full nine innings, only giving up one run. Um, that guy's an absolute monster. He's He is that guy. And if the Marlins are going to want to be you know, a successful team in the future and during this rebuild, he's going to be a, probably the biggest part of that. Um, so it's great to see a guy like him, workhorse like him. Um, you know, I think his ERA gets a little bit of a boost because, again, that they're playing in an indoor ballpark in Miami. So balls travel um, a little bit. And then 
And number two is Tony Gonsolin with the Dodgers on 197. Again, getting a little bit of a boost here, uh, being at a, a hitter-friendly ballpark. And then number one is Justin Verlander with Houston Astros at 207. Um, guy who's going to be at the top of the ERA list as well. So uh, no shock to see him here. Usually it's actually pretty crazy. So the ERA plus, like I was just the ERA plus, like the average is 100. And it's traditionally not supposed to go over 200. But because his ERA is sub two, he goes above 200, which is pretty impressive. Um, so it's pretty rare to see a guy with an ERA plus above 200 this late in the season because you didn't really see ERAs below two at this point in the year, but he's got a 184 right now. Um, that's like Tony Gonzalez has a, has a 2.10. It's a 197. Alcantara is like a 213 or 214. So it's pretty close to 200. But the guys that get over 200 are um, having incredibly good seasons. So Verlander's a guy who should run away with um, with the second. Yeah, I mean, these five guys that have, have had strong years, and I like this set a lot because it's similar to case per nine. It's more universal to where you're not just strictly referencing ERA based off. I mean, it, the guys with mornings pitch typically have a higher ERA. So this is more universal as well, and I like it. Um, but, yeah, these five guys have all been aces for their teams this year for the most part. Um Obviously, everyone's bound to have a rough outing occasionally. Uh, but really impressive stuff from them, and this is a really cool stat. Yeah, and the next one we got is whip. We're going to keep this one. Um, it's a fairly newer stat, uh, and we also just really no step forward on this. I mean, there's no further step to take. Like, there's there's hits printing, there's walks printing, but this is a combined metric of both. Um, so we wanted to keep it this week. It kind of sits with, sticks with the theme, and there's also no, like, you know, with ERA, you can go to ERA, adjusted ERA plus. There's no, like, adjusted WIT plus or whatever that would be. There's no step forward on that on that metric. So we're going to keep it this week. Uh, walks, hits per inning, or walks, hits per inning pitched. Um, so just keeping guys off base here. Uh, Julio Arias at number five of the Dodgers at a .95. Aaron Nola of the Phillies at a .94. A guy we haven't talked about on this list yet, but um, really solid pitcher, definitely an ace. Um, just has kind of struggles with the ERA a little bit with – Missing a couple of pitches gives up a lot of solo shots, but I'm um, definitely an ace for sure. Uh, number three is Tony Constant of Los Angeles Dodgers at a point eight six five. Uh, Shane McClanahan's at number two of the Rays at a point eight six two, and then Justin Verlander of the Houston Astros is at number one at a point eight five five. I kind of went to three decimal places there on Baseball Reference because on ESPN they only give you two, and those three guys were tied at a point eight six. But I knew, you know, a lot of these if they're if they're ranked one to two, but there's not a difference in the stat like a two decimal difference. There's a three decimal difference then, which is why I wanted to go out to there. But again, it was really pretty arbitrary. These guys are within a 10th of each other at number one through three. So there's guys who have done a really good job all year keeping runners off base, um, not getting a lot of walks, not getting a lot of hits, which is the name of the game ultimately is to keep runners off base. So um, again, a lot of familiar names though. Yeah. Another pitching stat is pretty interesting and kind of gets overlooked until recently. Uh, the past couple of years hadn't been too big of a metric. But it's pretty interesting to think about. Um, basically, your total efficiency as a pitcher. Um, I guess how you get through innings, how easily you get through innings. Um, but, I mean, under one is really solid, especially with these guys being starters, how many innings they're putting out there over the course of the season. And, I mean, guys that we've already mentioned on the list today and in previous stats updates, um, so no shocker here, but we're going to move on to pitching wars, our final stat today before you um, read out some pretty important news that dropped a couple days ago or yesterday. Uh, pitching war, obviously not including position players, hitters, um, guys in the field, strictly pitchers. Number five, we got Justin Verlander. Uh, I think is his first stat, not at number one, that we've mentioned. And he's at a 4.7, really, really solid Um been really smooth over the whole year. Hasn't had as many like uh, blow up outings as these other guys. Hence is why he has such a low ERA. Number four, we have Cease from the White Sox at a 4.8. Number three, we have Aaron Nola from the Phillies at 5.2. Really strong career for him. So more to Verlander. Um, we have Max Freed at a 5.3. Haven't talked about him much uh, from the Braves. Has been real solid for them over the past few years. And number one, Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins at a 7.0, far and away the highest on the war stat uh, by 1.7 over the rest of the guys. And rightfully so, he's had a strong year. I think only one bad outing. The rest have been real solid. Uh, you know, he's going six, seven plus every time. So when you when you pitch that much and you're pitching that well, um, easy to get a high war. And that's exactly what he's done at this point. 
Yeah, I think the other thing to think about with War is, um, you know, you see him at the top with such a such a large margin on on the rest of the pack is, you know, what if they replaced him on Miami with an it's basically with an average starter. The, what's the league average if you replace him? And that that's just a team that doesn't get a lot of runs. He doesn't really get much run support. I think in his last one against the Dodgers, he got two runs, um, which is not a lot. So, you know, it's just it's another thing to think about here. Like Max Fried clearly doesn't get a lot of run support. Neither does you know Aaron Nolan, Philadelphia with a five two. Um, so it's another thing to think about. Like he, Justin Verlander under four seven has been statistically the best pitcher in baseball this year. But the Houston Astros score a lot of runs. They had the second most runs scored in baseball. So if you replace him with the average pitcher, they would lose less games than Miami would if they replaced Alcantara with the average pitcher. Which is another thing to think about. Which is, I think, is a cool, um, a cool kind of nuance to the stat. It kind of allows you to see, um, you know, team performance as well. How important are these guys to their team individually? Um, which is really cool to th- see. I think, but. That kind of wraps up the stats this week. Hopefully you guys like the newer, uh, kind of the new age stats we threw at you guys this week. I just wanted to change it up a little bit. We'll get to the MLB news for this first one. Um, the, probably the biggest news since the trade deadline is, you know, kind of was over. Um, big superstar contract extension. That's going to have to have to bear with me for a minute because there's a lot to kind of unpack here. Um, before we start, big ups to Jeff Passan coming in with a rare WEF moment uh, and getting all these terms in like digestible uh, you know, words and terms for baseball fans. Cause I looked at it and he kind of broke it down. The first tweet was like, I don't know what this is, what I don't know what this means. And then he kind of broke it down kind of a, like an eight thread, an eight tweet thread, which is great. Um, so I got this all in here for you guys. So I'll start it out with this Seattle Mariners and future superstar center fielder, Julio, Julio Rodriguez reached a long-term extension that will keep the young star in Seattle for at least the next eight seasons and could potentially keep him there for the next 18 years. Uh, it is, it is the most intricate contract I've ever seen in major league baseball if not all professional sports history. Um, I think it is. I think it's the most detailed, the most intricate, and maybe the most well-set-up contract I've ever seen. Um, so it breaks down like this. The deal guarantees $210 million, but could reach up to $470 million. The base deal is eight years for $120 million. It includes the 2022 season and runs through the 2029 season. Following 2028, Seattle must decide whether or not to pick up a club option, meaning they can either option – they can pick up an option to keep him for – 10 years or eight years. Um, so the, like I said, two options are eight years or 10 years. That's, that's the club option. Um, the dollars are ranged anywhere between 200 million and 350 million on top of the 220. It's already guaranteed dependent. And so the way the money is going to work is it's going to depend on Julio's MVP votes and MVP wins if he has some. So if he's won a couple MVPs or one MVP that I'll go into it and increase the money that's guaranteed. So I'll kind of try and break it down like this after 2028, the managers are going to sit there and they're going to say, okay, we're going to, so one thing they can do is we're going to, we're going to decline the club option. We're going to let him, we're going to let him to figure it out, or we can pick up the club option for eight years and that'll, and then the money will range between 200 million or 350 million additional dollars. And then or they can do 10 years and that money will range from, you know, between the 200 and 350 million additional dollars on top. Um, Okay. If Seattle picks up the club option in any capacity, Julio's deal is automatically guaranteed at 320 million minimum because he's already got the 120 in the first eight years. The minimum they can add on is a $200 million. So that already kicks it up to 320 million guaranteed if they pick up a club option at the lowest kind of capacity. Should Seattle opt to not pick up his player option following the 2028 season, Julio has a player option after 2029 for five years, $90 million, explaining the 13-year structure minimum and 210 guaranteed minimum. Because if they're not going to pick up the club option, Julio is going to take that $90 million over five years. So, um, again, the player option basically says if Seattle declines both club options, Julio can then the next season say, I'm going to pick up my player option, have an additional five years and an additional $90 million, making the minimum he's going to make at $200 million, $210 million, if not more. Um, which is pretty crazy. I think it's really smart the way they did this. Um, basically, they're almost guaranteeing they're going to pick up the club option, I think. Um, you know, they basically says if he is performing like an MVP, we're going to pay him like one. If not, we're not going to. Um, you know, the way it breaks down is 210 over 13 years. The most they're going to lose is 16, roughly 16 and some change million every year, which teams will pay for the defense and speed that Pulio provides. He plays really good defense. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. Um, you know, so that alone is going to be worth it for them. And I think if he's, if he is what he is now at the plate, he's going to be worth a lot of money then. So 
Um, really smartly set up. I'll let Brett kind of give his commentary first on this deal, and then I'll kind of follow it up um, with how I feel about it in a second. But I'll let Brett kind of jump on this first since I just kind of took a few minutes talking. Yeah, you know, when the deal, when the announcement dropped, um, you saw like the years and the numbers. I was real shocked at, you know, how much they would pay for a guy that hasn't, isn't a proven player, I don't think. Um, still need to wait a little longer. Obviously, he's been a sensation since he got uh, called up, but. I always want to wait a little bit to see these young guys um, as they can be so hot and cold early on in the career, uh, but definitely super valuable for the Mariners this year. I mean, they've gone on a run that's kind of been overlooked um, how well they've played over the past couple of months, put them right in the thick of the wild card race in the AL and should definitely make, make the playoffs. Um, I'm just, I'm not too shocked by the structure of the deal and how it all, all the intricacies of it. Uh, it makes sense. It's a pretty safe deal. And I would go the same route if I had a player like that played outfield, good hitter, good speed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good deal. I think it'll kind of be a baseline for other young guys that come up and produce really, really well year one. I think maybe we'll see some more deals structured like this to where the club and the player both have some security uh, money-wise and they're not shelling out this long-term money while also paying the guy rightfully. Um, so I like it. Yeah, I think this is a really, really well done job. Um, I mean, I, I thought when the so when the first terms first came out, it was like four hundred plus million dollars. It was rumored to be in for you know twelve plus years. I was thinking, you know, I mean, it's smart because this guy's young. This guy's, I mean, in my opinion, this guy's going to be a top five player in baseball for the next ten years, twenty years potentially. Um, it's generational talent. I think this guy's what twenty years old. I want to say. Um, it's just you don't get this kind of talent often. Um, the speed, I mean, he's a true, he's 21, but he's a true five-tool player. Um, the power is, is wild at, at the age of 20. Um, what he's been able to do at the age of 20, started the year on the major league roster and really didn't miss a beat. Had, you know, the power took a couple months to kind of kick in, but once it did, it was, it, it, it popped like crazy. Um, again, I think this is the most well-done contract extension I've ever seen in all sports. Um, it protects the team. It protects Julio. Um, you know, at, at a minimum, he's getting three to twenty million dollars guaranteed over thirteen years. That, that's life changing money for anybody. Um, and it's generational wealth, and at the same time, the Seattle Mariners are in a place where they've locked this guy up, potentially be there for the next eighteen years. So he's thirty eight years old. Um, you know, which is really smart. I think, you know, baseball players have a lot, a lot of longevity in their career as long as they can be healthy and not, you know, do stupid stuff like test positive for PEDs um, or get in trouble off the field. So. As long as they can, and I don't think Hulu is that kind of guy. Um, he hasn't had any incidents of as of late, and I don't think he. I think he's really, really dedicated to baseball. Um, but I think this is a great deal. Um, I'm always in favor of paying young guys early because if they'd have waited, three, I mean, look at once, look at what happened with Juan Soto. The, the Nationals should have locked him up way earlier than they did because now he's now at the Padres. They got, I mean, they got a big haul for him, but nothing's going to be worth what he's going to end up doing someday. Um, and he may not even stay with the Padres. I mean, he might, he may want so much money that they can't afford to pay him with Tatis and with Manny and with Joe Musgrove and you know, the other guys they want to build around. Um, you know, baseball is a sport where you can't just pay the entire, you know, the entire cap, if you will, not that there's really a salary cap, but you can't spend all the payroll on one guy in baseball. It's not a winning recipe. Um, but I think this is a really smart dealing. It's really well done. Um, big props to the Mariners for doing this. They're pretty, they're a really well-run club, I think. And, um, they're going to be in a good place for a long time, I think, with him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought overall it was really good um, structure. Uh, I mean, the guy is really solid, and I think that regardless of what happens, maybe in the next couple of years you can cut the deal off or you can keep it going. I mean, I just think – it's pretty well done because, you know, you look at other young guys in the league that are trying to earn a contract that, you know, got called up. There's a lot of top prospects, you know, Wander Franco, Adley Rutschman. I think those are a couple of guys that you're going to look at down the stretch and, you know, you want a deal with security and a guy like Rutschman, who's a switch hitting catcher, um, you know, he's hitting 260 since he got called up, which isn't bad. And he's been a really good defensive catcher um, across the league. He's one of the top, you know, three to five guys since he got called up in a lot of different uh, advanced metrics. Those are guys that are going to want, you know, similar money. They're going to want their, they're going to want their security. And they're also going to want, 
the possibility uh, to earn that long-term money and have long-term security. So job well done by a well-run organization. I wish the Orioles were run better. Um, they're getting there, but still a long way to go. Uh, a lot of guys that, you know, really earn their money. And I think it's rightfully paid to most and some kind of get gypped out of money based off the market forum or what teams are going to want to do guarantee wise. Uh, you see that a lot in other sports, basketball and football specifically. We're going to keep on going here. Um, the MLBPA announced that they will be unionizing major league, minor league players, uh, meaning there'll not be a minor league players association or they'll now be included in the MLBPA. So this is geared towards top prospects, top guys that are in the minors for a while. Um, really good benefits for those guys as you see guys, you know, hang down in the minors for a few years at a time, at least really. I mean, when you get drafted, even if you're a top pick, you're in minors for a couple seasons. So this is really smart here. And I like that they added it in. Yeah. I think, I mean, you see career minor league players, um, guys that are there for 10 years plus year, 10 plus years. Um, you know, so I think it's a really good thing. I've always thought that there needed to be more of an advocation for minor league player rights, potentially, basically. Um, you know, these guys are living in terrible conditions. Unless you're a top prospect or you're a, or you're a career triple-A guy, you know, if you're a career double-A guy, you're going up and down moving double-A and triple-A, I mean, you're not, not living in great conditions. You're moving all the time. You're moving around. Um, so I'm really glad they did this. This is, um, you know, over overdue. And I think they really pushed – they pushed forward at the, at the CBA – um, kind of a lockout, and then they really push forward here, getting it unionized. Um, I believe it'll be approved for uh, kind of finalized Friday. I think they're kind of getting the minor league player votes going, but um, I think for the most part, while player associations don't have the best rep, I think minor league players have to do this, that they need to. It's really, um, you know, imperative, to be honest. So um, really good to see that from them. Um, we'll kind of get into some more kind of just some actual player news here. Um, Dodgers ace Tony Gonsolin has been placed on the injured list, retroactive to 826. Uh, he's expected not to miss more than two starts. Uh, and his presence on the list is seen as a mere precaution. Um, you know, the Dodgers magic numbers at 15 games now to, to lock up the division. I think they're 19 and a half games up on, on the Padres who hold the wild card spot. Uh, they have the best record in baseball, I think it's by seven games. Um, yeah, they really don't need to push him and, and, and get him hurt. They've already got an entire starting staff on, on, you know, on the injured list right now. So, um, really just a, a precautionary thing to get him healthy. I think it was like a forearm strain. Uh, they don't want to turn in anything. So he'll miss like, you know, I think eight days will be on the list. Um, miss two starts, but I think he'll be, he'll be fine. Like I said, it's a really seen as a precaution, precautionary type of deal. So um, just kind of some news this week for him. He missed his start last night, but Dodgers ended up winning the game. So it didn't really affect them. Yeah. Rough news for the Dodgers pitchers this year. Um, another guy. Well, that's only about a week or so. Um it's not it's still, you know, a guy missing time and another guy has to fill in. But it's part of the game. Uh injuries and things like this happen across the league. Uh, it's all about how you adjust and you know move on from it while they're out. And I think they'll be just fine in that regard. But moving on here, um the Tampa Bay Rays and right-handed pitcher Tyler Glass now, they reached a one-year $25 million extension. It will kick in following the 2023 season. So he has the rest of this year, next year on his current deal. And then for the 2023 season or 2024 season, he will play for 25 mil. Um, really tall, has a lot of good um, pitches, and he was really impactful on their run to the World Series. Right there was Snell. Um, they were kind of the one-two punch there for them. So well-deserved here, and I like the short term. I don't know if that was his doing or the Rays doing. Um, but I like the I like the short term deals to where guys can, you know, head back to the market and either re-sign or go somewhere else for more money. I think it was him. I think he wanted the one extra year because he's he's rehabbing from Tommy John right now. Um, so he'll he's missed the whole season. So he'll be back next season. Like yeah, I think he's already throwing, but he'll be back to start next season. So I think he just wanted a little extra financial security. Um, you don't want this, you wanna you don't want to risk going to the market off of you know the year off Tommy John. So good good deal for him, good deal for the Rays, keeps him in town. Um you know, he gives him some security financially. So really good deal from both sides. They're another really well-run organization. Um, kind of our last bit of news here for the MLB. Um, top three prospect in baseball, Corbin Carroll made his major league debut last night for the Arizona Diamondbacks in what was a record-setting win for them and a 7 to nothing comeback. Um, the largest uh, comeback win in, in 
organization history. Um, he went one for five, but his first major league hit came at the most opportune time with a go-ahead two RBI double in the fifth inning to complete Arizona's comeback and w- would end up being basically the game-winning game winning uh, RBIs there. Uh, they were down 7 nothing. It was 7-7 when he came up, and uh, he drove in two, put him up 9-7, to and ended up winning 13-7. to um, He also scored twice. He's got really good speed, um, really just a five-tool prospect all around. Um but it's kind of crazy. He only played 142 minor league games um, in 20. He got drafted in 2019. He missed 2020 because there's no minor league season because of COVID. In 2021, he only played seven games and he got hurt. And so this year, he really only he played like 100 and what's the math there? 135, 135 minor league games. And he only been in AAA for a couple of weeks. Um, like he got called up, I think, in July. So and he, I guess he's only been there about a month and a half, rather. Um, time's kind of flying by right now. But um, talk about a meteoric, meteoric rise for the 22-year-old. Um, he was drafted 16th overall, so it wasn't like he was a top three pick. Granted, he's still a very – he's still a first-round pick at a high school. But um, talk about a crazy rise. And really good to see. I, I love seeing young guys play really well. You guys know that. Um, it's really cool. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to go see him in Amarillo, actually, when we went. But he was on the – got moved to the injured list the night we got there, which kind of sucked. But that's okay. Um so really, really exciting for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You really don't have much to be excited about uh, after, especially after Drew Jones, their top pick got hurt. Uh, he's done for the year. Not that he was, I mean, he's going to play rookie ball, but he got hurt, a little shoulder injury. So he was done for the year. So really some good excitement there from for Corbin Carroll. Um, hopefully a bright spot in that organization's future. I know they don't really have much to be excited about, but hopefully they keep him for the long term. And it sounds like he'll be in the starting lineup the rest of the season. Yeah, it's fun to see. The guy that was playing in Amarillo, like you said, I was balling out there in the double A. And unfortunately, we missed out on seeing him when we went up. Um, but yeah, I mean, guy deserved it. You see a lot of guys getting called up right now because if they want to not be a prospect at the end of the year, they have to get called up right about now to have a sufficient number of at-bats to not be considered a prospect. And also for teams that are making their 40-man postseason roster, um, guys need to be called up by tomorrow, I believe. Uh, just based off a number of games left so the guys can be eligible for that roster if they do head to the postseason. Yeah, no, definitely a good move. I think they've got call-ups and the roster expands to 28, I think, in the next cut, like the next week. And then um, I think they have to cut down to 26 by the start of the po- like by the start of the post before your first postseason game, you have to cut down to like 26, I think is what it is. It used to be like 24. I think they made it 26 now. Um but, yeah, no, definitely, definitely going to see some young guys playing here in the next couple of weeks, uh, which I love to see. I think the Dodgers will probably bring up a couple of guys, which will be cool to see. Um, that kind of wraps up the MLB news. Um, really nothing in the NBA this week, but I'll kind of get it started this week. Um, the Brooklyn Nets signed veteran forward Markeith Morris to a one-year veteran, veteran minimum deal. Um, really just going to be a body off the bench, um, part of the Lakers' Um 2020 bubble championship team. Um, just going to provide, like I said, provide a veteran presence, be a guy off the bench, um, play some defense, hit a couple corner threes if you need him to, but um, nothing special. Just going to be a depth piece for them. Definitely. Yeah. Not a bad sign. Um, but also we don't really have an update on Donovan Mitchell as he's kind of been rumored to seeking a trade and there's kind of been talks between a few teams. But no update on that as of late. As of now, he's still a part of the Utah Jazz. And while we don't know how long he will be, um, it seems like he will be as of now. So that's it for you on the sports. We're going to round it out with the ice bath as we are every Tuesday episode now. Now I'll kick us off here. Um, so yesterday was quite a day for a couple of sports legends. Uh, first, going back 21 years to the day. So August 29, 2001. We had Serena, William Win- Serena Williams, uh, for those of y'all who don't know, she's a world famous, one of the greatest ever uh, women's tennis players. She won at the U.S. Open. Albert Pujols hit a homer. Vlad Guerrero Sr., Craig Biggio, and Dante Bichette all recorded a hit. Uh, this was 21 years ago. And yesterday, Serena Williams won at the U.S. Open. Albert Pujols hit a home run. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette all recorded a hit. So you see Williams and Pujols, who are both legends, have played their game for a long time, doing the same thing they're doing 20 years ago, as Pujols is only six homers from 700 right now. And you also see, you know, three different families to where father and son both recorded a hit 21 years apart with Vlad Guerrero and Junior, Craig and Kevin Biggio, and then Dante and Bo Bichette. So really, really impressive. I'm kind of a 
cool stat there. I mean, it just goes to show you what Serena and Albert have done for this long in their careers has been really, really impressive. I mean, there's not many guys like them that play their respective game for so long and have so much success, um, continuous success throughout their whole career. Yeah, definitely a cool thing, kind of like a, a glitch in the matrix type of thing, but, but pretty cool. Um, you know, I think it speaks a lot to the, the longevity and success of Serena Williams and Albert Pools' careers, um, which is two legendary careers in each of their sports, like he said. Um, really cool to see. My ice bat this week is going to be about Corbin Carroll. Uh, made his MLB debut Monday evening. Uh, like I said, his first major league hit came at the most opportune time it could have. Um, what I thought was even cooler than all that was uh, the video of the moment his AAA manager told him he was getting called up to majors and he'd be starting the lineup that same night. Um, they were all in the dugout. I think they were kind of getting some some morning, early morning or early afternoon um, or some late morning work kind of on the field. They're all hanging out in the dugout in between, you know, probably doing some fielding drills or going over to some BP. Um, so everybody's kind of in the dugout and, um, manager walked over and told him he was going to the going to the majors, you know, to start. And he sort of shared a really cool moment with all of his teammates. Um, kind of some long embraces, some a couple guys, um, you know, guys that he played with in AAA prior to come up or double A prior to come up to AAA. Um, just always a cool moment to see these guys get called up. You know, their their childhood dreams are coming true. Um, stuff that these guys have dreamed about for their whole lives, and that they've worked super hard to get to. Especially a guy like him coming off a major injury in 2021, again, it'll be called up at such a young age and make an impact like he did um, was really cool. It's just a really cool thing to see between guys who have shared a huge bond, um, all kind of with a, with a common goal, getting to the majors and cool to see those guys be happy for him. Um, while at the same time, not being jealous of their teammate getting to go up there, happy for him, ready to see him succeed. And um, just thought it was really cool. I like all those videos. I think the one there, when they called the Rutschman up was really cool as well for the, for the Orioles. Um, he was in the office and manager called them in and talked to him and um, basically made it sound like, you know, just keep doing you, you'd be patient. And they told him, because you're to the majors tonight. And then all of his teammates kind of stormed into the room. It was really cool. Um, so just like I said, it's, it's wholesome. It's good stuff to see. But that kind of wraps up the episode this week. Um, come at you guys Friday with an episode, kind of previewing the college football weekend. Um, we'll go over our picks from the one pick we had from last week, um, which ended up being a great game, by the way. It ended up really, really a game, um, which is nice to see. And we'll kind of give you guys some previews and games this week, get tech game in there, get all the, all the ranked matchups, and Brett and I will each pick a game or two games to preview ourselves, which will be really cool. Really excited about it. Um, but that kind of wraps up the episode. Anything you want to add, Brett? I don't think so. Just the usual stuff. Um, make sure to drop us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at cold seat podcast as we're pretty active. Uh, big time of the year. We're going to have a big episode on Friday, like you said, with college football opening up and then NFL teams have to get their rosters down. So a lot of news today that we're going to mention on Friday. Um, some surprising cuts, some good signings, and some trades. So make sure to stay tuned uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, um, whatever. Drop, subscribe, review if you enjoy what you're listening to. Um, and we're also open to any recommendations. I think our email is in our bio on our socials. So if you happen to not know that and you want to email them, feel free or whatever, contact us. But, uh, but yeah, we enjoy doing this, and we will see you on a few days on Friday. See you guys Friday.